Naked with Adele is about your inner journey, trusting yourself and sharing many lessons. Come on, hold my hand Not sure I understand This role I've been given But I wish someone had to talk to me Like I want to talk to you Naked with Adele is about getting real It's about being able to look at yourself in the mirror and being able to love that person that you see. It's about having the courage to be vulnerable. Welcome to part two of this interview. When we transform, we often notice changes where we are the most vulnerable, our relationships. To have genuine courage and take our partnerships to the next level, it helps to know how to let emotions guide us to feel seen and heard. To get your free download of Chapter 7 of Can You See Me Naked, go to adelgreen.com forward slash free chapter. That is www.adel-green.com forward slash free hyphen chapter. Now back to the interview. You're quite a ladylike person in a very corporate business world. The benefit is, of course, it's your own business, so yes. you can you have the freedom to make choices that maybe other people cannot. Mm. But it's still very hard in this environment because it's hardcore. Mm. You know, Ransom yes. Sen's world. Yeah. To be free, to be the kind of boss that you want to be, to make the kind of difference and get involved in the kind of things that you're passionate about. Mm. How do you stray so how do you stay true to Margaret? Well, I think I'm just a very basic person and, and it really came out to me uh, the other day when I was on television and I saw, I was the only person on this television show who wasn't an actress and I saw how they could switch off and switch on and I just thought, how strange is that? Because they would be quite miserable and sitting doing their Twitter account and then as the cameras came on, they'd be all oh, laughter and smiling and happiness, you know. And, and this to me was like quite an eye-opener because I'd never been behind the scenes on, a, on a, a, a camera thing before. So, and I just thought, well, I'm always the same, you know. I am always the same and, uh, you know, days come and days come, people come and I treat them all the same. But I think the beauty of us at Hershey's is that what we do with our staff is very, very different. We, most companies um, have people who work for them, they sell their skills, they take the money, they give the person a little bit of money and they keep the change and that's how they do it. It hurts us to be very different where we work with our staff to grow them as people, to make them the best they can be. So each person that comes to us has different um, strengths and weaknesses. So what we try and do is we build on their strengths and we ignore their weaknesses. When you go to most people, you know, um, you know when you were at school, if you were weak at maths, you'd be doing extra maths morning, noon and night time too to bring your maths up. And, and your English, which was really good, would just be left. So you'd be mediocre at everything. Whereas here what we do, we build on their strengths and we ignore their weaknesses. So if you're hopeless, like with me, I'm hopeless at selling televisions. I'm not technical. You can ask me how to set the smart TV and connect up the DSV. I have no clue. I don't do that. But I'm really good at cooking. And that's what I do is I cook and I show people how to cook. And that. But we have, like, especially our young Indian men, they are so electronically minded. They can make anything work, but they can't cook to save their lives. So they don't do the cooking and I don't do the TV. So we work together like that. So we build on everybody's strengths and we ignore their weaknesses. And we try and make them the best that they can be. So we make a very happy environment. Because if you're coming to work and you're doing something you really don't want to do, you'll never be happy and you won't do it well. Whereas if you're doing something you really love doing, you'll always be happy and you'll do it well. On that note, in talking about strengths, mm. you have a microwave story. 
tell us, because this was a turning point in your business. Really? Yeah, well, we were sitting there and we were selling fridges and stoves and washing machines and air conditioners. And then one day this um, rep came around and he said, we've got this new appliance, it's called a microwave oven. And this I was 20, yes, 1979, so nobody knew what a microwave oven was. They were not in South Africa. You'd heard the odd story about people cooking their cats and all sorts of weird and wonderful tales. But nobody really knew anything about it or how it worked. So we brought it in, we put it into our tiny little shop, and there it sat. So it sat there for ages and ages, and it never went anywhere. So one weekend, Alan said, well, we've got to pay for this now. I bought it on account, we've got to pay for it, we better get rid of it. So I said, okay, I'll take it home. So I read the book, and I started, I did a chicken, my gosh, instead of an hour in the oven, in 20 minutes, the chicken was cooked, it was beautiful. And then I thought I'd do a pineapple upside down cake, which would take probably about 40 minutes in the oven. In three and a half minutes, it was cooked. It was divine. So I called my neighbor. I said, come and look at this. This is marvelous. She said, gee, I want one of those. I said, yes. She said, but now so-and-so has seen it, and she's seen mine, and so it went on. So I said, okay, what I'll do is I'll invite, I was still a part-time housewife in those days. I'll invite all the ladies in the area and come into the store, and that's when we put all the appliances on the pavement, put the, the microwaves in the store, we put the appliances on the pavement, and we started cooking. And we showed people how to cook in a microwave because nobody knew. Nobody knew how to cook. And when I started doing that, a huge multinational company took me to Japan because the microwaves they were selling in South Africa were made in Japan, but the books were written in Australia. So when you got them here, there was none of our ingredients, not, not the sort of thing we cooked. So they took myself and my friend Diana Lindsay to Japan and we taught them how to cook South African food. They taught us how to cook it in the microwave. So then we came back and we taught everybody else. So I started the first independent microwave cookery school in South Africa. And we taught people, I used to teach morning, noon and night time too, how to cook food in the microwave. And they were very popular lessons. I had five cookery schools. My biggest one in, in Broad Street in Durban seated 75 people. And we were doing 24 classes a week, teaching people how, because, you know... So you took something that was a problem and you turned it into an opportunity yes. and then you developed it and yes. grew it. Yes. But you also then, from then, you wrote yes. books. Yes. So, um, so then what I did is I had the cookery school for many, many years, but in 1994, when South Africa was going through its transition, I didn't want to go out at night, and a lot of my ladies didn't want to come out at night as well. So we still kept the morning classes, but they, you know, um, they weren't quite the same. So what I said is, you know, I've got all these years of um, working in the microwave cookery school. Let's put all the recipes into a book. So my friend who worked in the cookery school with me, named Vanessa, she went to live in Portugal, and in Portugal she was very busy in the summer, but in the winter she was quiet. So what she did is she, we between us over the internet, we thanked Bill Gates for our books because over the internet we put them all together. And then we put, the, we put all our recipes into a very thick book, 439-page book, which was called At Home with Hershey's. And everything is flop-proof. It's, it's food that you can buy at all the local supermarkets, and it's food that we eat. So it was, it was very popular. And then from then I went on, because I'm a vegetarian, and I found that I told you my parents, whenever I went to my, visit, my friends to visit, they wouldn't know what to give me for food. So they would give me a lump of mashed potato and a piece of butternut. So I did my vegetarian cookbook which is all the vegetarian meals you can think of and then my daughter had got three little boys and she found that a lot of her friends said oh my gosh I don't know how you can cook this how do you get this your children have such lovely food to take to school so she wrote a book called Mums on the Run 
And then my son, who married quite late in life, married a girl who was involved in fashion, and she wasn't the best chef in the world. So he wrote a book called His and Hershers with all a lot modern type of food and food when they entertained a lot. So it was lovely food that you could use for entertaining. And then my husband, who's actually the original cook in the family, he said, but I've got all my recipes, because he's a pure white Russian Jew, and he said, I've got my recipes from my mother and my family, and his brother's got a, um, a restaurant in Israel, and all his whole family cooks, and he said, I'm going to put my recipes into a book. So he wrote A Taste of Hershey's. So we've got the five books that went out in quite quick succession. So how do people get hold of the books? We sell them in all the stores. Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. in the Hershey's stores. In the stores. And we use the recipes when we, we cook in the stores as well. Yeah, That's mm. fascinating. So uh, leading on from that, so then when I um, was, I, ha I had a store in Amlazi, which is a township outside Durban. Now, there's three and a half million people who live in Amlazi, and there's one road going out of there. And I saw the woman who had no education, couldn't do anything, and... They were just so frustrated and they had lots of children to feed. What do they do? So I said to my friend Marianne Vondler, who used to be the chef for Nelson Mandela when he was in his heyday, I said, Marianne, you can cook and you can speak Zulu. I can help you. I have space in my shop. Let's start a cookery school. So we started a little cookery school with a few people. But I said, I'm not going to teach them for nothing because anything you get for nothing you don't appreciate. Let's charge them 200 Rand a month. We were teaching to cook. So we got our first batch of ladies in, chosen 200 rand, and we bought all the ingredients and we cooked and we taught them how to cook from meals to baking to you name it. Marianne is wonderful. She can cook anything. And the nice thing is that people could eat while they were there. They would eat the food and they would go back feeling satisfied and then they would cook for their families. So what we did is then we set all these women who had absolutely no education, who had never worked, never even been into a school. We taught them how to cook and we taught them how to run their business. So we would show them how much to buy worth of ingredients and how much then we'd make so many fed cook and so many muffins and we would teach them how much to sell them for so that they would make a profit and they would go and sit on the side they'd start three o'clock in the morning they'd make the fed cook and the muffins so they were fresh at five o'clock they were on the side of the road when the men were going to work they would sit on the side of the road from five o'clock till seven o'clock selling their wares and then they would take the money back and they would buy more ingredients ready for tomorrow but that was the nice part about it was one, they would be finished working in the morning, so in the afternoon they could not only look after their children, but they could look after other people's children. And they could always feed them because they always had food in the house. So even the children who had no food would come there and there would be food in the house. So with Mary Ann, we started the cookery school very small and it built up and built up and built up. And last year we had 800 graduates from our school. So that's another one of your projects. That's another project. 800 graduates out of the school and every one of those people has got a job. How can people get involved in these products? And do you have other projects as well where people I, can get involved? I have lots in of other projects. Um, I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs and I'll just tell you one that I've done recently. Um, and the story is quite long but I'll tell you the quick version. It goes back quite long ago and the little girl, um, a little African girl in uh, living in the township outside Cape Town was in Standard 8 and she got her first boyfriend. And she didn't know what they were doing and she didn't know what had happened but they had sex and she was 8 months pregnant when she realised that she was going to have this baby. And she was shocked, she didn't know what to do, so she went to the fellow concerned and she told him. And he said to her, sorry for you, but um, I'm in matric and I've just got a bursary and if I, my parents know about this, I want to tell you, I'm going to lose my bursary so I cannot even bluff that I know you. I'm going to say, I don't know who you are, this isn't my baby, the whole story. 
So she went into a state of huge depression. She had the baby. She didn't want the baby. She gave the baby to her grandmother. And she just stayed in a depressed state in her parents' house for two years. And she became the maid in the parents' house. The parents went to work. They had, she had two little brothers. She looked after them. And she just stayed there because she didn't know what to do with herself. And after two years, one night, she got this phone call and he said, I've got a job with the Defence Force. I can look after you and the little girl now. I'm coming back and I'm coming to visit you on Saturday night. So she got herself all dressed. You can imagine now she's 18 years old and she's got herself all dressed and she sat down and she waited. She put her cell phone on her lap. And she waited and she waited and she waited until she fell asleep at about midnight. And at two o'clock she got the call on her phone, so she took it and she put it to her ear and she had this voice, uh, uh, could hardly speak. And a man took the phone and he said, I'm terribly sorry, he said, your boyfriend was coming to see you and it was dark, I didn't see him, I've knocked him over. And before he died, he asked if he could please just ask your forgiveness, but I'm sorry he has just died in my arms now. So she went back into a state of depression. She thought, God, what have you done to me? You just, it was bad enough you did this. It was just coming right. And now you've done this. What is going to happen to me? So she went into a worse state of depression. And she stayed in the house. And she looked after her little brothers and her mother and her father. And her mother and her father then died. And it, she got worse and worse. And then one day her neighbor said, look, I'm going to church. And we've got this lady coming to talk to us. Her name's Margaret Hirsch. And she comes, she's coming on a Saturday morning to talk to us about entrepreneurship. Why don't, I don't want to go by myself, why don't you come with me? And she hadn't been out the house for like in 10 years, but she went. And she sat and she listened to me speak about entrepreneurship and I told them my story and how we come and how well we've done. And she went home and she thought about it. She thought about it for a while. And in January 2014, she came to see me. Out of the blue, this little girl just walked in. She said, this is my story. Well, she, didn't, she actually didn't tell me the whole story straight away. She said, I want to do something with my life. I'm tired. I've wasted so much of my life. I'm 28 years old, and I've actually done nothing with my life at all. So I said to her, what can you do? She said, all I've ever done is been a maid in my parents' house. That's all I know how to do. So I said to her, you know, you might not think it's a good job, but if you haven't got a job, being a maid is a good job. And um, I related to her when I went to Cape Town that I, I, I didn't know anybody in Cape Town, so I asked my guys in Durban, anybody you know, somebody who wants to go to get a job and come and work with me in Cape Town. So Ernest said to me, my niece's name is Promise and she hasn't got a job, why don't you take her? So I took her down and I took a whole lot of my staff from Durban and a whole lot of staff from Joburg because I was starting my branch in Cape Town and we had all the beds in a row, it was like a dormitory, 12 beds. I said to her, yeah, well quickly, here the sheets make the bed. And she folded them into a little block and she put the mattress protector over. So I said to her, why did you make the bed like that? She said, you have to understand, Mrs. Hirsch. I've never slept in a bed. I've never made a bed. I don't, didn't even know what a bed was until now. So I said, what do you do? She said, well, at night we just all roll ourselves in a blanket and we lie on the floor. So I said, oh. And I had to teach her how to be a maid. And I taught her. So I said, well, I've taught Promise. Now you, if you know how to do that, let's get ladies. But you must go out and find me six ladies and tell them you're going to charge them 300 rand for a month you're going to teach them how to be a maid but at the end of the month you'll find them a job so she went out she got me six ladies we got the 300 rand each and we bought them in. and they worked in Cape Town I live above my shop so they worked in my flat they learned how to make a bed how to use a washing machine how to use vacuum cleaner how to cook how to do basic first aid all of the things and at the end of the month we got them all jobs with some ladies, we got them a job for a day. So it was a day, it was 300 rand for a day. We gave them maid 200, we kept 100 back. Some people wanted a maid for a week. I've got people coming to stay for a week. Or it's 1,500 maidens. We gave them maid 1,000, we kept the 500. Some people say, I want just a maid for a month. I'm just here for a month. And in Cape Town, a lot of people just come for a month. And they so we'd say, that's 4250, give the maid 3,000, we keep the 1250. 
And so she, her little business started to build up and build up and build up. The next month we got some more maids, we taught them. And the next month we got some more maids, we taught them, and we're hiring them out now all over the show. And after a couple of months, she bought a little Skodonk motor car, and she could get around and she would do quotes and she would do spring cleaning, she would do, you know... Um, expanded her business. She expanded her business. And then she came to me after a while and she said, I want to take my business to the next level. I said, no, you must think about it. It's your business, you think. So she thought and thought and she thought, what does the madam not want to do after a party? What's the very last thing you want to do after <laughs> you've had a party in your house? You really don't want to clean up. So she said to, she's going to start a party cleaning service. So her and the girls would go to sleep at 6 o'clock at night and they'd get up at midnight and they'd get into a little Skodong car and herself and another maid in the front and three in the back. And off they would drive to the fancy houses and Camps Bay and they would sit outside and when they saw the madam waving to her last guest, they would get out the car, go into the house and they would clean that house from one side to the other. The madam would go to bed and they would clean. They were like little fairies in the night. They would come, they would wash clean all the toilets, wash the glasses, wash the plates, stack everything for the caterers the next day, and off they would go. And I always said to you, you've got to go the extra mile to even cook breakfast for the lady the next morning. So when the lady got up, her breakfast was cooked in her house for spick and span. So she went from having nothing. And I said to her as well, I said, what do you want to do? She said, I really want offices in Century City in Cape Town. Oh, that's what I want. So uh, she went, and of course the rents are astronomical. But I said to her, you know, there's a business centre that's open next door. So she went there. And in the business centre, there's like a central um, foyer like this, and they've got like 10 offices going off, and you can rent those offices for 4,000 rand a month. Mm -hmm. And you get the facility of the secretary who answers your calls, she'll do your typing for you, you've got Wi-Fi, and you've got an office. So she took the office for 4,000. But then she thought, I don't, I'm not there a lot of the time, because she's out doing quotes, and if they got busy, she would help. So she got a lady who developed websites to come and rent the office for 2,000 rand, so it's only costing you 2,000 a month. And then she, that's how she did and her business is going so successful. So how much of that did you help her with, with the planning and... Not a lot actually, because you know, sometimes a person just needs to know that you're there to fall back on. Okay. That you're there so to it's just in, help in a mentoring them. space. Really. It's in that's a mentoring. I didn't do anything for her. And mm -hmm. when she, she, she'll give testimony if you ever want to interview her. She'll give testimony okay. and she will tell you that Mrs. Hirsch gave me nothing. She said, I came into the shop and I saw all these laptops. I thought she'd just give me a laptop. She said, no, Sia, you've got to work for it. And I had to work for it. She said, she used to go and work at 300 Rand a day as a maid to get the money, which I built up to pay for her laptop. You know, and she said when she wanted to buy the car, she said to me, well, I lend her the money for the car. And I said, no, I won't, because if I lend it to you, you have to pay me back. Are you secretly fantasizing about another life? I've been to Georgia and California and anywhere I could run. Took the hand of a preacher man and we made love in the sun. But I ran out of places and friendly faces Naked with Adele is about your inner journey, trusting yourself and sharing many lessons. Come on, hold my hand, not sure I understand, this role I've been given, but I wish someone had a talk to me like I want to talk to you. It's choosing to remove the mask and reaching within to bear your soul. Now I see 
It's about women staying true to who they are. Naked with Adele is about getting real. It's about being able to look at yourself in the mirror and being able to love that person that you see. It's about having the courage to be vulnerable. So I let down my guard, drop my defenses down by my clothes. I'm learning to fall with no safety net to cushion the now start those deep, long, overdue conversations with yourself. I'm your mind, giving you someone to talk to. Hello. And once you make up your mind, the journey begins. I've made up my mind. Don't need to think it over If I'm wrong, I am right Don't need to look no further I'm Adele Green And this empty chair next to me Is just for you Come and join me Register for your membership free To get this show and many resources At www.adele-green.com Or you can tweet her At Naked with Adele